0: Amen, that's a wonderful song, especially going into our our Easter season, which is next month, actually. This is March 1st, uh, and next Sunday, do you all know what next Sunday is? It's time, time, what? March 8th. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We're sharp today. It's a tough crowd I can see already. Uh, well, it's time change Sunday, so we gotta uh, is it spring forward? That's an hour hours lost. So you got to go to bed a little bit earlier next next uh, Saturday night in order to get here at eleven fifteen. It's a rough life. (laughs) uh, But let me uh, announce also that the following Sunday, March 15th, we're having a youth day. Uh, I've got this message. It's kind of been on the back burner for a while, and I want to bring this out. Two weeks from today, March 15th, um, why... I trust or why you can trust the Bible A lot of students they hear things at school they hear things from other students sometimes they hear things from teachers but doubts begin forming during these years and it affects them and I want to bring this message I want you to uh, I want you to bring teenagers I want you to bring College students, I want you to bring doubters and strugglers, people with questions, and I'm going to lay it out there. We're going to take the sword of the Spirit and kill the Goliath of doubt on March 15th. So uh, be thinking about and praying about someone you can bring. It's primarily geared to high school and teenagers and college, but... But anyone who has questions or doubts about the Word of God, they will be helped. And then um, we'll have a pizza for all the young people afterwards, uh, March 15th. So keep that date in mind. Why, I believe, why we can trust the Bible as the Word of God. Well, this morning, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. As some of you know we're been working our way through Romans, and uh, we've come to the what some refer to as the the peak of the book of Romans. And Paul is concluding a main subject, the subject of our salvation with the, chap- with the eighth chapter of Romans. He's really summarizing, like a good lawyer with closing arguments, he brings he brings it all to bear in uh, the eighth chapter of Romans. In the first four chapters, we saw that uh, salvation is a gift from God, not works, that all men are sinners in need, but that they cannot earn or work their way into salvation but that God, through Christ and the cross, gave it as a gift to those who believe in Him. In Starting in chapter 5, he lists the benefits of being justified by faith. He talks about we have peace with God, we have access to God, there's purpose in suffering. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And then he introduced that Illustration with Adam which has really guided his arguments all the way through even into this chapter uh, and he's with Adam Paul said in chapter 5 that if you want to know what it's like to be in union with Christ consider what it is to be in union with Adam that is to be of Adam's race a human being with Adam as your ancestor he brought sin and death And to be an Adam, or a descendant of Adam, he brought a certainty. He brought uh, an inevitability to your life where you inevitably sin and inevitably die. There are no options. Well, Paul... Argues in chapter five, and, and this is online. I think you can. All of these are online. If you could want to back up and and uh, get some of these old messages, but Paul is saying that if you're in Christ, grace is greater than that. Being in Christ means you will inevitably and ultimately gain victory in life and resurrection in death. Because Christ is greater than Adam and grace is greater than sin. And that's been his argument. So one of the benefits of justification by faith is certainty and assurance. Now he takes a little aside in chapter 6 and talks about how that uh, there are certain motivations or certain incentives that include, look, you should yield yourselves to God. And he gives reasons for that. In chapter 7, there's another little rabbit trail um, of of God. And it's that the law is not going to help you. The law of Moses. You're you're no more sanctified by the law than you are justified by the law. That that the whole thing is Christ. Uh, You can be a a Buddhist without Buddha. You can be... a Muslim without Muhammad. But there is no Christianity without the risen Christ. He is Christianity. And so that's Paul's Paul's argument. So he's going to summarize this now in chapter 8. Look at how he begins. There is therefore, therefore, he's concluding it, see. There is therefore now no condemnation, to those who are in Christ. No condemnation. Like being in Noah's ark, there's no judgment to those who are in the ark. Like a branch in a vine, the branch, in a, if it's in union with the vine, it won't die, it'll produce fruit. Like being a hand or eye in the body it's part of it. And it functions as part of it. So he he says, there's therefore now, not in the future, but right now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Now he's going to talk about this, but, but he puts the best thing up front. He, he lays your worst fears to rest right at the beginning. Now, uh, we've raised some teenagers, and, and so I, as a parent, we know what it's like to get a phone call saying that your child is in an accident. And, you know, what is the first thing you want to know? Are they okay? And and uh, usually these first responders will will are taught to the first thing you want to do with a parent is allay their fears. Let them know, okay, you know, your child is okay, but they have been in an accident. They did run a red light while they were adjusting the radio. I mean that's part that's what actually happened. But I just want to know this: Are they okay? Not is the car okay, but is the child okay? In this way, Paul, at the very beginning, says, I want you to know now, if you're in Christ, you've received Christ, you're a Christian, there's no condemnation. Putting that up front. Now let's talk about what happens. So that's the first thing. The next thing he points out in verse 2 and 3 is the problem that we now have between becoming a Christian and future resurrection is the flesh. Uh, Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weak by the flesh, could not do. He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned it in the flesh. The issue now he's going to put in front of us as a Christian, awaiting the final resurrection, living out our life as a Christian, he said the problem is what we call the flesh, what he calls the flesh. And you can see this in uh, verse 3 when he says, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. What's the problem? The law. The problem was not the law of Moses. God gave the law of Moses, but what's the problem? It wasn't in the law. It was weak because of the flesh. This is what Jesus uh, experienced with the disciples in Matthew 26. When he went to the garden of Gethsemane to pray just before he was arrested and crucified. And he told his disciples, he said, watch and pray, Matthew 26, 41, so you do not enter temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So he told them to stay and pray because you need to pray because your flesh is weak even though your spirit is willing. Again, for the second time, he went away and, and prayed, Not my will, thine be done. And again he came and found them asleep, for their eyes were heavy. Now, what was the problem? Nothing wrong with what Jesus told them to do. And they were disciples. They had good intentions. But the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. The problem was the inclination and limitations of the flesh. I remember when we first were married and uh, we went to uh, uh, my wife's parents, which was a kind of, it's like a village. It wasn't actually even a town. It was a village in Ohio called Mount Victory. And I had decided I was going to go up to their her parents' church that night And I was just going to pray till God spoke to my heart, and uh, I told I told somebody said that Mount Victory is going to become a victory for me. I'm going to victory to get victory. And I remember going into the church about eleven o'clock, kneeling at the altar, and it was quiet. I started praying. I mean, it probably wasn't ten minutes till I was sound asleep on the altar. I slept till like 2 a.m. And I woke up, I was so groggy and and defeated and depressed and went home. I thought, I'm starting to call this Mount Defeat. (laughs) The intention was there. I was willing, flesh is weak. It's fallen, it's broken. There's a brokenness about us. There's even a perversion within us. An iniquity that weakens us. So Paul says that's the issue, that God has done what the law, verse 3, weak by the flesh could not do. But then he gives God's threefold solution to the problem, verse 3 and 4. God has done, verse 3, I love that phrase, but God has done, hallelujah. Can I get an amen from the church? God has done what the law, weak by the flesh, could not do. And here's the first thing He did, verse 3. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He sent His Son. We call that the incarnation. We celebrate that uh, on what holiday? When do we celebrate God sending His Son? Christmas Day. On Christmas time. The God coming in the flesh. Sent His Son in the flesh. He sent His Son. And by the way, this is a very important word right here. In verse 3. Do we have this? Yes. He sent His own Son. Notice this. In the likeness of sinful flesh. When Jesus was born, he was truly flesh, truly a human being. But it wasn't sinful. He did not have the brokenness and the fallen nature that we have. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came in flesh, but only the likeness of sinful flesh. I was reading... um, I'm reading through the Old Testament, and I'm in Leviticus, (laughs) and I'm doing my duty and going through Leviticus, and uh, I I noticed something that jumped out at me uh, uh, last week, that in the section where you bring a sacrifice to God, to the altar, to uh, you lay your hands on it, Leviticus one three. It has to be a male without blemish. See, it's it's picturing Christ. All those sacrifices are pictures of Christ. A male and has no blemish. And it says he lays his hand on the head of it, the burnt offering, and it'll be accepted for him. So he can he lays his hands on it. He's transferring the guilt. He's identifying with the sacrifice then the sacrifice is taken and killed and burned and it is accepted for him to make atonement. See, it's a picture of Christ. And then Leviticus 1.8 says, and the priest shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. And then Leviticus 1.9 is what jumped out at it But it's in and legs he was to wash with water. He takes the sacrifice, which is the substitute the substitutionary death that he was to die, but he confesses sins or he identifies with it, and the priest takes it and before he burns it, he kills it, but before he burns it he. He washes the entrails. Give me. Go back to that verse. Uh, verse nine. It's entrails and legs. He washes with water. Why does the priest, as a priest, required to wash the guts of the sacrifice? Because it's representing the inward cleanliness of Jesus. Amen. See, it's without blemish. That's the outer conduct. But he washes the guts to show, as a picture, that the, the sacrifice that is coming is not only without blemish in its conduct, but he's clean in his character. That's Jesus. He never sinned, and he had no iniquitous leanings toward sin. What a Savior. So we read that beautiful description in Hebrews 7, verse 26. It was necessary or fitting that we have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate or different from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Think of those words as it spoke of Christ. Holy. Innocent, unstained, and different from sinners. See, none of us could qualify like that. Amen? I mean, I know I could not. Holy, unstained, different from sinners. Innocent. See, but that is why Jesus is a complete, perfect, sufficient substitute for our sins so Paul says God did three things one he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh second he he also condemned sin in the flesh in verse 3 he, by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and he condemned sin in the flesh he went to where the sin was in the flesh That's why Jesus had to become a man. Because it was as a man that we sinned. The sin is in humanity. So in Jesus' humanity is where the price was paid. Now the third thing God did, He gave us His Holy Spirit inside of us. Verse 4. In order that... The righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, there's there's your two options. Now that you're a Christian, God has put His Spirit inside of us. So now we can walk according to the flesh. We can also walk because His Spirit is in us, we can walk according to the Spirit. And according to the Spirit is where Paul is going. He's going to unfold that phrase in the rest of this chapter. We'll look at it next week. But let's look at these two options. The last time I spoke to you, I spoke to you on Romans 7 about the wretched man. Where Paul says, talking about his struggle, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Well, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, is that just the future? Have you ever seen uh, uh, one of the Rocky movies? When I was uh, looking at this, I thought of that. I forget which movie it was, but you know, in some of those movies, uh, Rocky gets defeated. He, He loses. Do you all remember that? yeah uh, y'all y'all do know what a rocky movie is right <laughs> with sylvester Stallone uh this is before he became Rambo or maybe it was after I don't remember <clears throat> but I remember in one scene where he loses they he has one eye swollen shut, his mouth is bleeding, his face is black and blue, he's, he's hardly able to breathe because his ribs are broken and, and he has to come back to the middle of the ring while his opponent, his hand is raised and he's declared the winner. It's not just that he gets beat up, but he has to be humiliated. <laughs> Now, is that the normal Christian life? I ask you. Is this life to be characterized by wretchedness, by defeat? Yes, praise God we're justified. That's in the past. And praise God we're going to be glorified in the resurrection. But boy, what about now? Is there any help or hope for victory? in this life and I tell you yes for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world somebody say amen to that you can walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit of God the spirit is what Paul says is the key now this word here to walk in verse 4 The righteousness that the law required is fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. The word flesh there is the Greek word sarx. We get our English word uh, sarcasm from it. It's it's when somebody is ugly. Sarx. And there's a verse that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, Give me that passage in 1 Corinthians 3 this is I've heard this quoted off and on through the years Paul says I brothers could not address you as spiritual people that is of the spirit walking in the spirit but as people of the flesh sarks that's the same word used here in Romans 8 walking according to the flesh he said, I, I couldn't talk to you as people of the Spirit, but of the flesh. I had to talk to you like fleshly people. As infants, infants in Christ. See, what's an infant like? Well, they're all about themselves, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's about me, and they make a big, loud noise if you don't give them what they're wanting. He says, I had to talk to you as infants. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. What what does that mean? Uh, It means Paul had to take the Scripture, and like a mother, he had to simplify it, digest it, and then feed it to them as pablum. He had to make it a liquid form for a baby. When you are an infant, when you basically get everything you know about God through someone else, they're like a mother. They pre-digest everything and feed it through their teeth. <laughs> Alright? Are you with me so far? Now, you become an adult when you're old enough to feed yourself. You can open the Bible and it makes sense. And you can pray to the Holy Spirit. He will illumine things to you. And you're feeding yourself. That's when you have you're on your way to being a responsible, growing Christian, and even and then in the ultimate adulthood, you can even feed others because you can go to the grocery store and get things, and then you can make it palpable, palatable and feed it to young Christians. But milk is pre-digested meat. It's already been taken care of. All you have to do is snuggle up in the lap of some preacher and then just suck him dry. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I just have stepped into an awful hole here. (laughs) But what is Paul saying here in 1 Corinthians 3? That's the way I had to do you. I had to baby you. I can remember at times uh, uh, over at Bristol Road in the early years, uh, it just seemed to me like people were so babyish and, and crying. I've got a little grandson over there. It's about a year old. And, um, and, you know, if something, the slightest thing don't go his way, he screams bloody murder right in the middle of my sermon. He doesn't care. It's about him and his preferences. And you know, if, I have seen whole churches full of Baptist babies. Uh, we had a... When I first came, we had some young families that were visiting. They had babies and they were putting them in the nursery. And I had, we had a committee. And it was the com, uh, Buildings and Grounds Committee. And so I, we had a meeting and I said to them... <coughs> said we need to fix this nursery because I'm afraid we're going to lose some of our young families and you know what one of the guys who had been there for years you know what he said to me or said to the committee he said well I'll tell you my thought bye bye (laughs) 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 that's your approach if it's all about you. I don't care about any of these people coming to church. I don't care about their eternal destiny. If, if they need a clean nursery, well, bye-bye to you. Because it's, it's not about anybody but me. And I've seen that over the years, where Christians can just be big babies. Fighting over where to put the piano, what kind of music to use. We used to fight over what kind of music. Do we do choruses? Do we do hymns? What's wrong with the Baptist hymnal? And I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. And it was just like you fight over the color of the carpet, you fight over where you're going to spend money in the nursery. You fight over who's going to be on the committee. And it's just babies crying and whining. Paul said, now look at this carefully in, in 1 Corinthians 3. In verse 2, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. Even now, Paul says when you should have been farther along see that's walking after the flesh and you can be a Christian and walk after the flesh and the Corinthians are an example of it but who wants to be a 40 year old baby in the nursery I don't amen not me I want to be able to feed myself, take care of myself, and even feed others. So this is what Paul is talking about here. Now God, by His Spirit, will wean you. Psalm 131 says that. David said in Psalm 131, Lord, I'm behaving myself like a weaned child. God will remove somebody that's been your mother, that's just fed you faithfully, and all of a sudden they're gone. And what is God doing? He's forcing you to look to Him. Feed yourself. So David says, I have behaved myself as a weaned child. I have calmed my soul. If God has done that in your life, if God has removed... A primary source of spiritual strength and inspiration, calm yourself. Let Jesus Himself be your source of inspiration. Amen. Do you know that Jesus, you can make it with Jesus alone? (laughs) Jesus is enough. And if he wants you to have someone else, he'll bring them into your life. All right, so let's just summarize this today. Paul is going to lay out two ways now of two directions. Walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit. But he wants to begin with this affirmation. I want to give you the good news up front. There's no condemnation. You have been saved by faith in Jesus alone, and Jesus is faithful and he will keep you. And the first thing I want you to know is the child is safe. Your soul is safe. No condemnation. He begins with it. There's an example in John chapter 8 where Jesus... "...has a woman drug in front of him. She is cast down at his feet, and the Pharisees say, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. The law of Moses says stone her. What do you say?" And they were trying to trap him, because they, they knew Jesus would not want to stone this woman... But how could he get out of it when it's the law of God in the Old Testament? So Jesus didn't say anything. He just knelt down and started writing something in the dirt. I don't know what it was. And as he was writing, he suddenly looked up and he said, If you are without sin, cast the first stone. And everybody's kind of, "Oh, hmm," and they started dispersing and scattering. And you know who went first in John 8? You know who left first the older people? Because they knew, man, I got it. you should see my history. See the younger men, they were zealous and they didn't really uh, they didn't have the record. <laughs> Amen. Some of us older people, mm, that's why the the more you learn about the gospel and the, yourself and life, the more you realize Jesus is the only way I'm ever going to make it to heaven. But the older people began to disperse first. Pretty soon there wasn't anybody standing there. Some young kid was there, but he didn't want to be the last one uh, in the group holding a stone, so he threw his down and he took off finally it was just Jesus and the woman that's a good place to be when it's just you and Jesus and Jesus said woman where are your accusers and she said there are none Lord and he said neither do I condemn you go and sin no more isn't that beautiful beautiful Neither do I condemn you. Now, he did not say, and we sometimes turn this around, he did not say, now go and sin no more, and I will not condemn you. No, he said, you're not condemned. Now start over. What are you going to do with your new life? How are you going to stewardship this new future that you've now been handed That's where we are. What do we do now? Having been justified and there's no condemnation possible, there's only glorification inevitable. So what now do I do with this fresh future that God's given me? And here's what Paul's going to say. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. So that's what we're going to look at next week. I hope you'll join us again. But don't forget to set your clocks, or you'll be here at 1215. All right, ushers, you come, and let's pray and ask God's blessing as we worship. We've worshiped in our singing, our praying, in His Word. We've worshiped in hearing His Word. Now let's worship in our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for these wise words of the Apostle Paul. I thank you for the good word at the very beginning, fresh word, the assurance. But I also thank you for the possibilities, even the the, um, inevitabilities of the future. Thank you for the certainty of it. I pray you will help us this week, beginning now, to walk in the Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.